Welcome to Resources Radio, a weekly podcast from Resources for the Future. I'm your host, Kristen Hayes. My guest today is Emily Wimberger, a climate economist at the Rhodium Group, working on the energy and climate team. But prior to Rhodium, Emily served as the chief economist for the California Air Resources Board, where she analyzed the economic impact of California's portfolio of climate change and air quality policies. She focused on programs related to carbon markets and transportation, and she has graciously agreed to hearken back to her California policy days on the podcast today, where she'll be joining us to talk about the so-called California waiver. The waiver has sort of flown under the public radar for decades, but it's now getting a closer look from the Trump administration and is turning up in the headlines. So we'll discuss what the waiver is, how it came to be, and why it matters both for California and for the rest of the U.S. And I think Emily would argue perhaps even for the rest of the world. So stay with us. Emily, I am so pleased that you are willing and able to join us on Resources Radio to discuss one of the nerdiest hot topics in environmental policy, uh, the so-called California Waiver, or more officially known as Section 177 of the Clean Air Act. Um, we'll get into that in a moment, of course. But first, can you tell our listeners a little bit more about you and how you entered the world of environmental policymaking? Sure. Thanks, Kristen, for having me on. Um, So currently, I am a climate economist at Rhodium Group, which is an independent research firm that combines economic data analytics and policy insight to really analyze the market impact of energy and climate policy and the economic risks of global climate change. Prior to this position, I was the chief economist at the California Air Resources Board, which is a state agency in California that implements uh, the whole host of climate and air quality regulations for the state. In that role, I estimated the economic impacts of the whole suite of California policies that ranged from carbon pricing in the cap and trade program to the low carbon fuel standard, um, advanced clean car regulation, short-lived climate pollutants. California Air Resources Board even regulates VOCs from hairspray and deodorant, so it covers uh, quite the <laughs> gamut. Um, deodorant, however, is not what really got me into this. Um, it was actually <laughs> it was actually vehicle emissions. I came to California from Pennsylvania for grad school, and I drove across the country in a Honda Civic whose previous owner was a grandma who I think literally drove it one day a week to the grocery store. It was in seemingly great condition, um, and in California, before you register your vehicle with the Department of Motor Vehicles, you have to pass a smog check. So this is an emissions test that is really a critical piece of California's effort to reduce air pollution from vehicles. Well, Grandma's Honda did not pass a smog check. Um, oh, and really? Yes. And <laughs> so this was very infuriating. I was a poor grad student. And $3,000 later, it finally was able to pass. Um, there had been um, you know, repairs made, and I could register my vehicle in California. Um, well, as a very earnest grad student, um, I set about to finding out more information on this program and to figure out, um, you know, mostly out of spite, to be honest with you, um, <laughs> sort of how the benefits of this were calculated and how it could be made better better and you know why was I paying this absorbent amount to register what seemed like a very clean vehicle in California. So I, I sort of went down this rabbit hole um, in grad school and ended up writing my dissertation on the California smog check program and thinking about um, optimal incentives and how to estimate the benefits of that program. So um, it really was grandma's Honda and failing a smog check uh, when I came to California for grad school that really sort of put me into the space. Um, in, grad, in grad school I also then um, 
the California, the smog tech program is, is uh, administered by the California Resources Board. So I got a little exposure to the agency and saw the policies that they were promulgating and got really interested in sort of the back and forth with stakeholders and really how you can design optimal policies to um, satisfy a really um, complicated objective function, trying to sort of, you know, maximize benefits, minimize costs across a whole host of pollutants and uh, air quality impacts. So that, that's really how I got into it. Wow. Uh, that might be the best story we've had on the podcast about how someone <laughs> got into these particular issues. But thanks for sharing that. That was very intriguing. Yeah. Um, thanks, Grandma. Exactly. Um, <laughs> So you have been in California for a number of years. You've seen a lot of iterations in California environmental policy, but it seems like it's fair to say that they've been a leader for a long time. And so I guess I want to start sort of back in the history a little bit of this California waiver and ask you to define it for us or describe it to us. And then um, maybe if you could speak to why California got that waiver in the first place. Sure. So unfortunately, it all starts with terrible air quality. In the 50s and 60s, air quality in California, specifically Los Angeles and other big cities, was terrible. Um, in 1967, then Governor Ronald Reagan, he established what is now the California Air Resources Board, a state agency that would uh, be rooted in science, but would be given authority to adopt um, effective courses of action to reduce California's air pollution and protect public health. So this all predates um, federal action on vehicle standards. So by the time that the federal government began regulating motor vehicles, California had already passed regulations requiring new pollution control technologies on vehicles. So really, California was the first mover when it came to regulating motor vehicles. And so in recognition of this, and due to the success that was being seen in California, um, the Clean Air Act of 1970 specifically allows California to seek a waiver um, of the preemption in the Clean Air Act that prohibits individual states from enacting emission standards for new motor vehicles. Mm -hmm. um, and so EPA must grant a waiver before California's rules can be enforced, um, but it's actually Section 209 of the Clean Air Act that specifies that EPA shall grant California a waiver unless the administrator finds that California standards are either not as stringent as federal standards, that the air quality in California doesn't actually compel um, more stringent standards, that the air quality is not extraordinary and doesn't require more stringency, um, or that California standards are inconsistent um, with requirements in the Clean Air Act related to technical feasibility and lead time for auto manufacturers. So that's really where this comes from. It's really that California was a first mover when it came to vehicle emissions um, and regulating pollution. Um, and it is important to point out that no California waiver has ever been revoked, and there was one previous uh, waiver that was denied, but it was quickly reversed um, and then approved. Okay. All right. So just so I make sure I'm, I've got this right. So there are the the default is that the waivers are in fact approved, and that has in fact been the history over the the course of the Clean Air Act the last fifty years. Yes. Um, how many times has it actually been granted in the past? Does it get granted on an on an annual basis on a sort of a regularized schedule? So California has been granted over 100 waivers. And okay. these cover not only light-duty vehicle fuel efficiency or zero-emission vehicle standards, which are sort of what we're talking about today, but also heavy-duty diesel engine standards, urban buses, uh, off-road engines and vehicles. There's a whole host of different applications where California seeks a waiver to have more stringent regulations um, than at the federal level. Um, the waivers in question here uh, that we're discussing today really relate to our greenhouse gas 
gas emission standards and our zero emission vehicle mandate. Um, and these waivers were granted in 2009-2011 for California's greenhouse gas emission standards. Um, a waiver was issued in 2011 for the zero emission vehicle regulation. And then in 2013, there was a waiver um, that combined these two programs into what is known as California's Advanced Clean Car Program. Um, so as I said previously, no waiver has ever been revoked. Um, mm-hmm. In 2008, US EPA initially denied California's waiver for greenhouse gas emission standards for 2009 and later vehicles. That denial was reversed. Um, US EPA reconsidered it and ultimately granted that waiver. Um, it is also important to note that there's no Cleaner Act process for revoking a waiver. Um, and this sort of makes sense because governments and industry really rely on waivers for years after they're granted um, in, in order to think about sort of their product lines and to plan for investments um, in different technologies. And waivers do not expire. Um, they might be superseded by a new waiver that approves more stringent standards, but they don't have an expiration date. Hmm. Okay. Very good to know. So this is really helpful, I think, for giving our listeners a sense of how the waiver has been used within California. Maybe can you dive into a little bit more detail about sort of one particular example of its use? Sure. Um, Well, I think the most recent uh, waiver and the one that is under discussion today um, is a waiver that was requested by the Air Resources Board in 2012. The Air Resources Board was pulling together um, all of their different uh, air quality, uh, GHG standards, and zero emission vehicle regulations into one sort of comprehensive program known as Advanced Clean Car Program. And so the Air Resources Board in 2012 requested a waiver from EPA and um, basically said, does this fit into our existing waiver? Yes or no, Um, please allow us this preemption. In 2013, EPA did grant a waiver, and so California could go forward and promulgate um, different amendments to their advanced clean car programs. And so what does that actually mean? Well, when these regulations were first adopted, the uh, the amendments to these regulations were adopted, they were projected to reduce greenhouse gas emissions from passenger vehicles by 36% uh, from passenger vehicles and 32% uh, from trucks from 2016 levels by 2025. So it's a pretty Mm -hmm. significant reduction and greenhouse gas emissions. Um, And across the state, what that meant was that overall GHG emissions um, were anticipated or projected to drop by about 12% by 2025 relative to a business-as-usual baseline that did not include these modifications under the waiver. Um, so that, that's a pretty substantial that's a pretty substantial reduction. And I think it's important to note that there is a lot of flexibility within sort of the regulation. Manufacturers can meet the new standards through engine and emissions control technologies, using more advanced hybrid technologies, using lighter and stronger materials. Um, and so there are a lot of options and flexibility that can help drive innovation um, in the technologies uh, in low and zero emission materials and engines and vehicles. Um, The amendments to the zero emission vehicle regulation also required auto manufacturers to have a specific number of zero emission vehicles uh, for sale, and that includes full battery electric, hydrogen fuel cell, and also plug-in hybrid vehicles. By 2025, again, this, uh, these amendments to the sub-regulation were projected to increase the sale of zero-emission vehicles by about 1.4 million. So that's a huge mm-hmm. impact um, in the overall uh, vehicle fleet, especially given sort of stock rollover and um, sort of w- what that looks like and how people hold on to vehicles. So the waiver has had a pretty dramatic impact on California's, or is anticipated to, by 2025, have a pretty dramatic impact on California's greenhouse gas emissions um, and the vehicle stock. 
Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So the waiver has allowed California to sort of push ahead in a number of areas and to drive different reductions than in greenhouse gas emissions, at least in this particular example, than you might have in other parts of the country. But my understanding is that the California waiver also has, it has spillover effects into other states who decide to follow the standards that California sets. And in fact, that's one of the, one of the challenges is, um, or one of the concerns that's being raised by the current administration is that California's leadership and the states that come with it actually create some some tensions across markets. So can you can you talk a little bit about the impact of the waiver um, beyond the state's borders? Yeah. So after California obtains a waiver for a specific emission standard, um, it's Section 177 of the Clean Air Act allows other states that have been um, non-compliant with federal ambient air quality standards to adopt California standards as their own. So to date, that includes 13 states in the District of Columbia that have all adopted all or part of California's regulations. So they might adopt sort of the vehicle emission side, the greenhouse gas emission standard side, or the ZEV mandate, or both. Um, and this covers about 30% of U.S. vehicle sales um, are in states that follow some or part or all of California's fuel efficiency standards. And I would say that the impact is not limited to these specific states. You know, they're going to see market air quality improvements. um, But in 2012, we also saw that U.S. EPA finalized greenhouse gas standards for passenger vehicles that were pretty similar to California's, very similar to California's. Mm -hmm. So basically what happened um, under the Obama administration is that there were two sets of standards. There was the California standards and sort of federal standards. Mm -hmm. Well, the Obama-era U.S. EPA then approved standards, essentially approved the California standards federally. So this really... um, brought up the level of stringency for fuel efficiency vehicles, and effectively California standards became federal standards. I would also, um, there's also been a lot of innovation across the globe um, in zero emission vehicles and lower emission technologies that have been used and are projected to be used to meet California's vehicle standards. And automakers have been supportive of California's vehicle standards. Um, This didn't make the news. Uh, In July, there were four automakers, Ford, BMW of North America, Honda, and Volkswagen, that voluntarily agreed to produce vehicles that are more fuel efficient than what the current federal Trump administration administration standards are for 2022 to 2026 model years. And so they made an agreement with California that they would reach a standard of about 50 miles per gallon uh, by 2026. This is slightly less stringent than the existing California advanced clean car regulation requirement. But then California said in exchange uh, for this agreement um, that California would say they are in compliance with the California standards. So this voluntary agreement would result in automakers producing more vehicles that are fuel efficient um, and uh, really would drive, we, we think will drive innovation and continue the pace of advancements in both zero and low emission vehicle technologies. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I wanted to ask, so is it fair to say, is it in fact accurate to say that the California waiver has now been revoked? Is this the first time where it's actually been revoked or is there still, is it still in limbo land? That is a good question. Um, The Trump administration announced that they were revoking it. And I think that there is a specified timeline um, when that would happen. I think it's within 60 days. But, um, you know, California has filed a lawsuit that would hopefully prevent the waiver from being revoked. um, And would. so it's it's sort of in it's a good question. I, I don't think I think we're still in the process of figuring how that would be unwound. Got it. Okay, so we have California driving forward with um 
with more stringent standards than the federal level. We have a number of states following those standards. We also have at least a number of industry representatives, at least at this moment in time, suggesting that they are quite comfortable with the more uh, stringent standards that California is promoting. Um, and yet the California waiver has become quite controversial. And in fact, the Trump administration has made moves to revoke the waiver, sounds like for the first time ever. And so um, I, w I guess I wanted to ask sort of what is the status of the waiver at the moment? And then if it is in fact revoked, um, what are the practical implications of that in the short term and perhaps also in the long term? Uh, I know there are legal battles ongoing, but what kind of what happens next? I think we're going to see a long, drawn-out uh, court battle. Um, in September, California and 22 other states and Washington, D.C., L.A., and New York City filed a lawsuit against the Trump administration challenging the decision to revoke California's waiver. Um, I think this is this is expected to be um, heavily litigated, but California um, is pretty confident that they are on very firm grounds um, and that the waiver will not be revoked. I think it is also worth noting that the waiver lawsuit is a very separate issue from the rollback of fuel efficiency standards that have been proposed by the Trump administration under the safer, affordable, fuel-efficient, safe vehicle rule, um, which would effectively flatline fuel economy standards from 2021 through 2026. So there's lots of different uh, lawsuits and lots of different issues when it comes to California standards, um, both sort of moving, looking at standards through 2025 and then also the waiver. But those are two separate um, issues. Uh, there's a lot there's a lot going on uh, in the Golden State. I think um, the attorney general has filed over 50 lawsuits against the Trump administration um, since he's been in office. So lots of busy things. <laughs> yeah, I will admit I I could not name for you any other attorneys general in the United States except for the California attorney general because he's been so prominent in sort of his um, his re his reactions to this administration and his outreach. So, yeah, yes. he's kind of famous at this point, I'd yeah. say, uh, <laughs> at least in environmental policy nerd land. That's right. That's right. And another lawsuit uh, was filed yesterday, um, uh, California and 22 states and seven cities are suing the Trump administration over the clean power plan rule. So um, mm. yet more to come. Um, yeah. But I think in terms of um, back to the waiver, um, I think there's really three big um, impacts in the near term of a potential waiver uh, revocation that are really critical. I think it is important to note that there have been many automakers who are in favor of one standard federally. So that has been the desire they want to have one standard it's you know it creates certainty and it you know allows them to sort of plan their product lines and to not have um, you know different pools of vehicles that go to different states and so what this does and what the lawsuit is doing or the the threat of the revocation it really is creating a lot of uncertainty for automakers um, you know California has always demonstrated that their vehicle standards are feasible and that automakers have enough lead time to develop the technologies this has been part of every waiver that's ever been submitted um, and the greenhouse gas emission standards and the zero emission vehicle standards even underwent a midterm review that confirmed that the auto industry was on track to meet uh, the new standards for 2022 to 2025. So now during what could be a lengthy litigation process, automakers don't know which set of standards will ultimately apply to them. Will it be California's? Will it be um, the CAFE standards under the Obama administration? Or will it be the Trump administration uh, fuel economy standards? 
So, and I think in the meantime, consumers globally um, are interested in more fuel efficient vehicles and other countries are requiring improved fuel economy. So I think there is a chance that the U.S. could fall behind globally in terms of investments and innovation in low and zero emission vehicle technologies, as that seems to be where everyone globally is headed. Mm -hmm. And so my understanding is that that was, in fact, the rationale that the Trump administration gave for the revocation of the waiver or the proposed revocation of the waiver was that they felt that the need for a uniform standard, in fact, no pun intended, but trumped the uh, the ability of California or the you know, the desire for California to be able to have its own standards. So they were looking for certainty, but it sounds like in the process, at least in the short term, they've, the revocation or the potential revocation of this waiver has created more uncertainty than certainty. Is that, is that a fair assessment? I would agree. Um, And I I think from the start of the Trump administration, um, I think there was um, the thought that there would be challenges to a lot of the environmental regulations that, that were on the books and that had been put on the books prior um, to the administration taking office. I think we've seen that play out in a whole host of areas. I think in terms of um, the actions that were taken in the vehicle space in terms of the safer, uh, the proposed safe rule and uh, with now with the California waiver potentially um, in limbo, uh, I think it was unclear sort of the the stringency or the speed at which the administration was going to sort of take, um, take action. And I think they went farther um, in terms of their proposal to flatline fuel efficiency standards and to revoke the waiver than maybe people had anticipated. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do agree that um, you know the one standard does eliminate um, a lot of potential economic inefficiencies when it comes to you know leakage and overall reductions in greenhouse gas emissions. And so I think you know many people, um, really, I think everyone wants there to be one federal standard. Mm-hmm. I think the question was at what level of stringency right. should it be set? I think the other uh, really immediate impact that uh, the waiver revocation could have is that it's going to impact air quality and public health. And that really is the reason for all of the vehicle standards in California and globally. Um, The zero emission vehicle mandate is a really critical part of California's strategy to reduce ozone. The South Coast uh, air quality or air basin, which includes L.A., has exceeded in 2017 and exceeded federal ozone standards over one third of the year. Um, So there's still parts of California that have very very poor air quality, and we're seeing health impacts. We're seeing, um, you know, cases of asthma and um, bronchial diseases, and we're, we are not in compliance with federal standards. So the zero emission vehicle mandate is a really key component um, of improving air quality in areas of California that do continue to have um, very poor air quality. And often mm-hmm. these are communities that are on the forefront um, of, um, you know, they're low-income communities. They are on the forefront of experiencing the changes um, and the costs and impacts of climate change. Um, and so it's very potential that, you know, the elimination of the waiver could potentially make air quality worse and prevent the South Coast from being in compliance with the federal national ambient air quality standards. Mm -hmm. And that's actually a really uh, interesting question related to the many threads uh, that tie together California and the Trump administration. And so I wanted to ask as well, is there any connection between the waiver and the other concerns that the Trump administration has expressed related to California's environmental performance, either on clean air or clean water. Um, are these are these formally linked? Are they sort of informally linked? Um, can you say a little bit more about that? 
Well, I think that part of the Trump administration's stance or what has been said about California's ability to have a waiver is that it needs to be based just on air pollution and it should not be related to greenhouse gas emissions. Gotcha. And so in California, there is a very clear tie between the um, actions that are taken to reduce you know, the impacts of climate change and reduce greenhouse gas emissions, they can also have local air quality impacts as well. And so I think this is one, the zero emission vehicle mandate is a really good place where you see that um, by introducing zero emission vehicles um, and you're basically displacing, you know, combustion um, from uh, petroleum products, um, you're going to see improved air quality in different locations. Um, and so we do think, I, I, I do think there is a tie um, between these um between these issues. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Maybe just one very different but, but question that really is popping to my head this whole time is what actually leads California to have considerable air quality problems? What, what about the topography or it's, the geography? Yes, or, that's it. Yeah. It's, it's the, a lot of it is uh, topography. Um, okay. Yeah. It's just, we have air basins that, right. um, where, you know, local air pollutant can just sit um and it's it's really uh it's a really based on the geography of california right so in many ways california has always been unique in its challenges and it was this sort of first mover at trying to address those challenges and so yeah it's it's out of necessity yeah unfortunately it was it was terrible right. air quality um that drove us into being the first mover but california's also really experienced um great successes um in sort of the air quality and in the climate change space yeah yeah I wanted to mention one more thing, if that's all right, in terms of the impact. So it's not just air quality, but it's also, um, you know, greenhouse gas emission reductions and really revoking the waiver um, could have really large impacts on the greenhouse gas reduction potential um, from that were anticipated under the um, under the federal fuel efficiency standards. Internal rhodium projections show that the waiver rollback could result in about 600 million metric tons of carbon emissions from 2020 to 2035, um, which is not insignificant, especially given um, the really existential threat that is climate change. And the waiver could also impact um, our longer term goals by reducing the amount of zero emission vehicles that we see on the market. Uh, Rhodium estimates that uh, EV sales could drop by about six to seven percent in 2030 if the waiver were to be revoked. Um, And this is, again, thinking federally. But any really any change is really going to put us um, off the trajectory that we need to be on to at least get within spitting distance of reductions that will need be needed to limit our global temperature rise below one point five degrees. So I think it's a really it's you know it's the air quality, it's the climate impact, and then it's the uncertainty that this really just it creates a lot of uh, turmoil uh, moving forward. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and as you noted, it may take you know quite some time to resolve. So I guess this is an issue that we can all keep our eyes on many uh, billable hours yes <laughs> yeah um the topic of many podcasts to come i imagine if we wanted it to be but um but emily thank you so much for joining us and talking through this issue that i think can be quite wonky but is as you've illustrated also very important to understanding the trajectories of both 
air quality and climate policy in the U.S., not just in the state of California, but obviously this has ripple effects far beyond its borders. So um, yeah, I really appreciate the time. And I wanted to close with our usual feature, um, which we call Top of the Stack. And I wanted to ask you, Emily, if you could recommend for our listeners something that you have been reading or are looking forward to reading or listening to or watching. We take all types of suggestions from our guests. Uh, Something that you'd recommend um, on these broad themes of energy and environment and natural resources uh, that others might want to check out. Yeah, um, I'm a little late to the game on this one, but I just started a great book that I'm sure is very familiar uh, to all of your listeners. It's called Rising Dispatches from Mm -hmm. the New American Shore by Mm -hmm. Elizabeth Rush. And so it's great. It provides, uh, you know, great first person reporting from communities that are grappling with sea level rise. Um, So I think that's been um, that's a very it's it's a very interesting book. And it's 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 thinking about sea level rise in a whole new way and from different perspectives. So I would highly recommend that if uh, if people haven't uh, already read it. That is great. That is fantastic. Um, Okay, well, Emily, thanks again. And we look forward to talking to you again in the future. Awesome. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Resources Radio. Thanks for tuning in. If you have a minute, we'd really appreciate you leaving us a rating or a comment on your podcast platform of choice. Also, feel free to send us your suggestions for future episodes. Resources Radio is a podcast from Resources for the Future. RFF is an independent, nonprofit research institution in Washington, D.C. Our mission is to improve environmental, energy, and natural resource decisions through impartial economic research and policy engagement. Learn more about us at rff.org. The views expressed on this podcast are solely those of the participants. They do not necessarily represent the views of resources for the future, which does not take institutional positions on public policies. Resources Radio is produced by Elizabeth Wasson with music by Daniel Ramey. Join us next week for another episode.